1: Inside the battle over school food and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This is Sam Ben Ruby from The Grape Nation. We had an opportunity to go down to the Naples Winter Wine Festival and talk to a bunch of different winemakers. This interview is with David and Callum Powell from Powell and Son Winery in the Barossa in Australia. <laughs> Welcome to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network, your weekly wine journey. We are at the Naples Winter Wine Festival, benefiting the Naples Children and Education Foundation. Our guests are David and Callum Powell from Powell and Son Wines in the Barossa Valley in Australia. I'm excited to have these guys on because they're doing some great stuff and making some incredible wines. And I want to welcome David and Callum to the Great Nation. Thanks for coming on. I think it would uh, be a good thing if you guys spent a few minutes with a little background in history. Now, David, I know you know you started as a lumberjack in Scotland. I mean, we could buzz through that quickly, but yeah. you know, let's get to the wine thing and talk well, about that.
3: That, that, that part of it was important because that's actually where I met a little Scottish girl who become ended up being Calum's mother. So, who became your wife? Yeah. Right. So, at the end of the day, that's um, probably you know where it all began in a way. So, anyway, went home, ended up starting Tourbreak, Long, long story short, um, ran Torbreck for twenty odd years. What, uh, to just context, what year did it start? Uh, well, officially the first wines were released in uh, 97 from the 95 vintage. Started the business about 92. Right. Getting vineyards, making wine, stuff like that. Um, then, some years later, uh, 2013, I left, uh, left my own company. That's a long story. Um, but the silver lining was that um, my elder son had always been pretty keen to get into the business. He used to follow me around like a bad smell when he was a kid. I'd, when he was three, I'd turn around in the winery and tread on him. So he was always there behind me. And So he, Callum said to me, he said, Dad, you know, I didn't really ever want to take over tourbrook anyway. That was your gig, so let's start together. So,
2: we, Callum, were you doing any other wine things? I mean, did you travel, do a uh, harvest or I intern? Did. Yeah, I you did. Know, so cut your teeth at, on... at
4: that stage, 2013 was my gap year. I just finished high school the year before. Okay. So um, I was actually lucky enough to go and work in Hermitage for a guy called John Lee So I spent about 10 years. <laughs> kind of right there. to the top, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So that was quite incredible. So that really left it, it was pretty impactful. Impactful for
2: me. So, is it obvious because Australian wines are known to be Syrah, Shiraz based, mm. that you send them to Hermitage, to yeah, Syrah? Yeah, of
3: course. I mean, with it's the say, If you speak to California winemakers, who make Syrah and the Shiraz, you know that's the that's the home. I mean, that's not where the grape came from originally, but certainly these days, for where we've last five hundred years, that's where we think of the variety coming from. Right. And John Louis and his wife Erin are very dear friends of mine, and but not just that. Um, you know, the Shah family are the family of Sarah. Really? And I wanted Callum to go, you know, in, in the new world, people use terms like toir and vigneron as marketing terms. Right. But they have no fucking idea what they really mean. Right. But I wanted True. Callum to go to realise, sorry, you said I like could tweet. Is that okay? Yeah. I, I won't use my favourite word in the, in the English language. Yeah. That might be a bit much for your listeners. I wouldn't but,
2: tell you if you couldn't.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I wanted Callum to learn that that was the real thing. That it actually meant something. So you start, well, let's go back.
2: So you're at Torbrick for a bunch of years yep. with high critical acclaim. Yep. You know, Parker fell in love with the wines. You really stood out in Australia. I think you helped, I don't know if the words put Australia on the map Map again, well, but yeah, I, 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 mean, think, it was, I think you were one of the one impetuses of, them, yeah. of you know, really turning out and, and, and. Not necessarily in the most traditional way, mm-hmm. you know. You as a personality, the type of wines, all of that stuff. So, like you said, that comes to an end. Um, you can go and Google if you want to find out more. So, what was it around 2014? You guys pretty much kicked up Powell and so. That was the first vintage, that's right. So, like you said earlier, the inspiration is: listen, my kids into this. This is where I came from. Let's do it. Tell me more about
3: that. Well, it was interesting because. Um Callum came home and I you know, was having all sorts of legal stuff to sort out and it was kind of messy and stuff. I had to actually stay of it until 2015. That's a long story I won't bother going to. <laughs> Everything's but, um, a long story uh, with you. <laughs> oh, oh, trust me. I don't know what I did in my <laughs> former life, trust me. I must have killed someone's cat or something. But I, um, uh, you know, when Callum came to me, he didn't just say, you know, Dad, let's do so together. He said, I'm not just coming for a ride. Right. I want to be an equal partner in this. So we talked a lot about um, what we were going to do, as far as the wine style we wanted to make. Uh, Callum then proceeded at the ripe old age of nineteen to tell me what I'd been doing wrong at Torbrick and how I could do it better. And trust me, he's probably one of the few people on the planet that's actually told me that sort of stuff and lived to tell the tale. But he was right. You know, he talked about the freshness of the wine, how we could the élevage, how we could age the wines, how we could do it differently using larger format oak rather than small Good, new, oak and all Good, fresh, that sort different. Of stuff. Perspective. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: So. Your dad told me before the interview that he would give you three minutes of amnesty, and he asked me to ask you that if you're not enjoying this or you made a mistake, that on this show you could leave okay. the winery. Okay. Do you want to stay or go? I'm I mean, Are you happy yeah, with I think this? I'm pretty happy. <laughs> okay, so we we got that. Story, well, the interesting
3: right? thing is he's, he's, now that he's come home from university, he's decided that even though Callum designed the label and everything. Um, he's actually desi- decided that Pep should be called pal and father rather than pal and Sons. Oh, so here I'm we go. So I don't, think, I don't getting, think he's going
2: anywhere. Getting big balls early. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Yeah.
3: No, I don't think he's going anywhere. <laughs> All right,
2: so let's, let's talk about the wines. I mean, um, is it fair to say you guys are ronists? I mean, a lot of the wines that you make are Rhone var- varietals. Yeah, well,
3: we are. It's it's a sort of very strange coincidence. I mean, the Barossa Valley originally was planted to make wine, make fortified wines. That was where our industry right. came from in the 1800s, to supply the English market, which was we well, were still a colony. So it just happened to be a very happy coincidence that the the most populous varieties planted in the Barossa, which is where the whole thing started for us, um, and for Australia as the fortified supply to the UK, uh, the varieties they planted were what we call Matara and Vedra, Grenache. Right. Shiraz was actually the poor cousin, funnily enough, because it wasn't the best fortified variety, whereas things like Grenache and Shiraz and were other ones were better. So it just happened that, and then with no phloxera, you know, a lot of your listeners may know, no phloxera in the Brossum. Right. Hundred and something Which years later, a, we've got uh, these amazing old vines. So. Plant
2: disease that could knock well, out. Well, it's a
3: little aphid that basically yeah. attaches itself it's to a the bug roots or a sucks fly, well, right. it, well, It's like a little aphid, but it right. attaches I, itself right. to the roots and sucks all the goodies out. Yeah. So because you know, I
2: just double check my research, and you look at a lot of uh, wineries in Australia, and they don't have the diversity of roan varieties. You know, it's the typical. I mean, you really you know, stretch out?
3: Well, once again, I think it's a, a climatic thing. I mean, the, um, you know, Shiraz, Syrah, whatever you like to call it, is quite versatile. So you can make it in really hot places like the Australian Riverland, and make right. pretty good commercial wines. Then warmer places like Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, but you can make it in cooler places. I mean, there's some great Syrah. I say Syrah, um intentionally because it's more that style, coming out of Tasmania, which right. is quite cool. So whereas things like Grenache Matara, you try and grow them in a cool area, you'll never get them right. So that's probably why right. we have that, you know, sort of concentration of those varieties. So,
2: as far as the source of the grapes, um, you're sourcing from outside sources. You, yeah, we, we don't mean, own any vineyard. But is we that always, an aspiration?
3: I mean, oh, absolutely. You, you have your eye now. Yeah, one on, thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. And it's I, not. a cheap proposition. I literally left my own company after twenty years with a shirt on my back.
4: So. Right. Yeah. So we're sort of... But, you
2: know, winemakers are so particular, you want to have control over your own.
4: Exactly. And and that's really, you know, we had a long time to kind of sit down and think and talk about what we wanted to do. And one of the things that both of us were really big on is any vineyards that we were going to deal with and make wine from, we had to have full control. And not only that, but we did all the work ourselves. And so we've now got six vineyards that we deal with, and all of those vineyards... We do the pruning, we do all the summer work, everything ourselves.
2: So you have control of them. Well, that's the whole point, I mean, they're yeah. partnerships you're paying, and but... That's, you, yeah,
4: yeah, that,
3: that was the part of so the thing. So that's the
2: closest thing to yeah. having a partner that'll let you, you know, do yields and, that, and that pruning for and all exactly. that, right?
3: Your style and everything. That was one of the parameters. I mean, we don't make a lot of wine. We make a fraction of what I used to make at I and that's intentional. But... We only make wine or vineyards we run ourselves. Oh, that's not true. There's one grower who was my first ever grower at Torbrecht, one of my closest friends. He's forgotten more about dryland grape <laughs> growing than I'll ever know. So we take fruit from him. Funnily enough, even he's, now he's 70s, he's actually gone biodynamic, which is kind of interesting considering he's he four 14 and he's wow. semi literate, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But uh, so. That's the one vineyard we don't run ourselves, but as I said, I, I'm not, I could never right. run a vineyard as well as he does. But and we,
2: we mentioned Barossa, but you also source
3: grapes from the Edna Valley, right? Eden Valley, yeah. Eden or...? Eden, Eden. Yeah, Edna's down near, down near Paso, I okay. <laughs> That's all right. No, a lot of people... My like bad. No, um, no.
2: What are you... What grapes are you growing and vintning there?
4: Right, so in Eden Valley, I mean, it's... And, and that's the thing about... What people don't get about the Brossa is you've really got the two valleys within the region, you know, and the Brossa Valley is definitely, the style of the Barossa Valley Shiraz is definitely better known, you know, it's a richer, more voluptuous style, and, um, you know, that comes down to a lot of factors, but it's predominantly the warmth, the lower altitude, the lower rainfall, and you've got a lot of heavy clay soils and ironstone, and got, you get that concentration of fruit. Whereas in Eden Valley, you're generally two to 300 metres higher in altitude. So higher altitude. That's right. You get higher rainfall, it's much cooler. Wetter, you get different very cool soils. Breezes. And the soils, I mean the soils vary a lot, but as a wide generalisation you get much more uh, shallow loamy soils and then a lot of stone and bedrock. So you've got bits and pieces of granite through there, lots of quartz and schists. And so, really, really different styles of wine. So, so, but, so,
2: characterize some of the styles. Are they more austere or
4: certainly more austere? So not as
3: voluptuous
4: exactly and rich as right. the which, Barossa, which was our which point. is a style you
2: don't mind making, well, I'm sure, or having the opportunity. Right. Well,
3: I always kind of say, you know, Barossa, Barossa Valley Shiraz is the girl you want to go to bed with, and the Eden Valley Shiraz is the one you want to wake up with yeah. in the morning and take to meet your mum. You know, you get it both ways yeah. I buy a bottle <laughs> each. <laughs> well, not there a hard you go. Proposition. Somebody once said we should blend the two, which we do in one of our wines, and yeah you got to be careful what you wish for, though, you know. So you brought up a word before,
2: biodynamic, which was one of your growers. So you control the uh, vineyards. W- what's your approach? I mean, are you low intervention? Absolutely. Minimalist? I mean, we I mean, we about actually... how you farm and how you yeah. vent.
3: Well, that's why we wanted to run the vineyards. We are actually um, farming organically, and we're um, quite uh, happy to, to accept some of the biodynamic principles. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff, particularly the discipline. I think some of it gets a bit carried away. Yeah, and the biggest like that problem,
2: ram's horn thing. Uh,
3: well, yeah. Well, I, I once actually jokingly said to someone, you know, w- w- white man only turned up in Australia 250 years ago. So before then there was no cloven hoofed animals. There so no horns. So and but forget that. Why, na- why now? Forget the fact the grapevines weren't there anyway. So I said to someone, if you want to be a biodynamic farmer and um, in Australia you have to go to a, a, an indigenous burial ground and dig up their didgeridoos and fill it with kangaroo poo. So, you right. know, I think it all gets a bit silly. It's a, it's, it's a little crazy. What annoys me more, though, is that people say, oh, my wine's biodynamic, my wine's organic. Yeah, but is it any good? I don't care how you, you know, as long as you're not nuking it with yeah. chemicals... Mm-hmm.
2: I mean the overall idea of sustainable and responsible
3: mm. growing oh, is absolutely. great but
2: that doesn't mean anything like yeah. you said. I mean yeah. you could be a crappy grower, crappy viner, you know, you don't know
3: what you're yeah. doing. But afterwards. it's important that you know these vineyards have been there a long time that we're not building up more crap in the soil that was done right. for a long time and the you know in the were 70s you, and 80s. Were and, you when you were
2: Torbert? Similar practices, pretty much,
3: pretty much. Although you, I think you, we're going you, that bit, was always your belief. It's sustainability, and we're probably working more towards that. You know, at Torbrook, I was probably used a bit more herbicide and a bit more systemic right. spray. You're doing less but now. We're yeah, now we're doing a little, little, literally, literally as little as we can.
2: Is it? More challenging? I mean, are you dealing with more pests, or it's yeah. just, or it's a way of life, and you work it that way because it's the better
4: way? You really just have to pay more attention, I think, and that's the beautiful it. thing about what we're doing is we don't have many vineyards, you know, and so right. we really can pay a lot of attention to what we've got. But I think if organic or biodynamic um, principles can be applied anywhere in the world, they can definitely be applied to the Barossa Valley. You know, it is a dry, warm place. You know, there's really low risk of. Things like botrytis or rot, so it's not that difficult. Whereas, if you're in a cooler climate, it'd be a much more difficult thing to do. Right. Um, And so for us, it seemed like a no-brainer to be honest. So
2: let's talk about the wines. The wines are called Powell and Son. You make some uber premium wines. You know, at the prices don't scare me or other people because there's plenty of wines out there for more. And I'm sure the time and everything put into it warrants that. Talk to me about you know the wines that are coming to market or in the market. Well, let's we, talk about, you know, let's do some promotion yeah, here. Sure. Where, you, <laughs> yeah, know, restaurants, absolutely. you know,
3: restaurants, you know, online, you know, stores. We, um, once again, when we, we started the thing, Callum and I talked a lot about what we were going to do, what sort of portfolio we were going to build and so on. And we wanted to make, and it might sound arrogant, but we wanted to, to basically create a Barossa version or Australian version of Domain and Romney Conti. You know, get them six amazing vineyards, make incredibly tour-driven wines, single vineyard, single varietal, and really so the, do a number.
2: Because you're talking Roan grapes versus Burgundy. Well, yeah, no, talking, I'm not talking about... No, no, about, I know, yeah. I know, but th- w- what made that brand that brand, the practices are so admirable. Yeah. It's like, let's be the DRC that's of... It, uh,
3: absolutely, I'm sure line would actually um, probably want to throw something at me or laugh at me when he hears me saying that, but I'm just saying, that that's the model, and you know, I don't. I hope he's not offended. So on, our,
2: on a scale of this starting and this being there in your mind, getting to that goal, where are you? Well, well I mean,
3: I'm not DRC pricing, but that's no, the, I'm not, but, but, but no, no, in no, your mind. Well, we are, I think we're. I think we're already doing it. I mean, we, that's the one of the things that surprised me when I left Tourbreak is that, you know, I'm good at what I do. Callum has learned a hell of a lot in a in short time for a young bloke. So I, um, that's the that's not the hard bit. The hard right. bit's getting the fruit, and I was so happy when I realised how easily it was for us to actually get together a group of a parcel of vineyards that was sort of absolutely perfect for what we wanted.
2: How long so, did that take? I mean, do you have to run around for a year or so? Um, or no, we. What's well,
3: funny because I... knew it's, people. It's kind of like, yeah, well, it's, other people knew people and it's sort of like... The Barossa is a small place, you know, and everybody right. knew what was going on. A lot of people Once weren't very happy it got out what was going on and what right. had really happened and stuff. But the other thing is, apart from that, so that set of wines, which is six wines, but we also make what we call our regional wines, because we wanted wines that people can drink and enjoy. You know, it's all very nice selling wine to collectors, we love doing that for some prices. Slow
2: down for one sec, go back. The wines we just talked about are the single, wines. The the single they're, vineyard wines. Single vineyard, yeah, And everyone makes them, cost a little yeah. higher, special, yeah. limited yeah. You know, availability tiny and all tiny that. Yeah. And then you make a larger
3: quantity, high quality, more available. Yeah. yeah, and more reasonably priced. Right. Now remember high high, you know, I at Tulbrek, at maximum, I think we got 100,000 cases. We make 10,000. So when we say, you know, we, we make a, a wine that we only sell in our, our export markets called Riverside, which is a blend of Grenache, Mouverte, Matar, and Shiraz. Um, that's our, and that, that wine sells here in the US for under $20. We, uh, we make the 16 we're selling now, we make 3,000 cases of. The 15 that was in the Spectator Top 100 last year, we made 2,000 cases of. So even our volume wine is still right. pretty small.
2: Mm. What do you need to expand volume? You need more grape sources we we or you're happy? We, we don't really want to. Right. We, we need to – it's funny. But do the finances and all that work for Oh, well, you yeah, that's, no, Listen, yeah. that's always a challenge. But if you get things going at that
3: level, I mean, you can yeah, have the business if, going if, where you want it. Only if we can find a vineyard that we think is appropriate for what we want because we don't – it's funny. We had a situation just a few weeks ago. A very dear friend of mine, sadly, is quite ill – And instead of making wine, he's going to sell his crops. So he came to us and asked if we wanted to buy it. And we were pretty keen because the 18 vintage looks like volume would be down a bit just naturally, you know. Right. Um, And Callum and I thought about it for a week or two and then finally had to say to him, look, mate, we'd love your fruit. We love the way you run the vineyards like we do. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do it. And that doesn't therefore fit our ethos that we actually want to, you know, make the wines ourselves in the vineyard. So So – Listen, and we're not in a hurry to grow anyway.
4: Right. But I think another point of difference as well was the vineyards that we're dealing with. I mean, so, so I went and worked away in 2013. You know, I travelled through Burgundy a bit. I went down south and um, to Provence. And what I loved was even, you know, within the Rhone Valley, you've got these different appellations and the wine styles are completely different. The tradition, the culture is completely different. And I loved that. I really, really loved it. And this is when I was just getting into wine starting to understand what it was all about. It was a about. good education. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. And, so, and then I came home you know and a lot of people give or take there, there's a lot of the same style of wine being made to an extent there well there's definitely not the difference that you've got if you go to from cote rotie to hermitage or right, from hermitage Saint down to or or, Exactly. yeah i mean in and, each region you know i saw that in the sub-regions we've got in the Barossa, we could we could do that. We could make these different Your styles more. Your eye is of more towards that. Absolutely. And, take advantage and so of the, the six diversity. single vineyard wines that we have are all from different districts throughout the Barossa and Eden Valley. You know, they've got different soil types, they've got different elevation, everything. So they really are quite different wine styles. You know, we didn't want to just produce six wines all from the same little pocket mm, of Barossa right. that look more or less the same. We want a big diversity of what we do.
2: Right. Um, So we're in the United States. You guys are here visiting for the festival. We're talking to David and Colin Powell. Where and can we? Find your wines. I mean, it may yeah. vary by market. I'm heading back to New York in a few days. We sell
3: the wines. Um, it's a it's a process. Slow process we're going through. So we sell the wines in New York. Okay, new At York retail State. or a restaurant or both. Uh, both, both. Okay. Um, we probably very be selected because we don't have a lot. Right. You have um, to curate. Yeah, who yeah. You're gonna. And then we're uh, we're in Massachusetts, so Boston and, and all of Massachusetts. Uh, we're here in Florida. Okay. Uh, we've just signed up with a new agent uh, distributor in California. Uh, and yesterday, funnily enough, you come to Florida and sign up with an old old friend of mine who's now in Chicago. So we've now got Illinois. It's all happening, and we're hoping to get Texas next week. So, but that'll probably be it. You know, with tour break I used to we used forty six days. Able to days. handle, right? Yeah, so we right. don't want. And even you know, when I, I, I the guy we met yesterday, an old old friend of mine. Um, and he said, oh, how much volume, you know, I don't want you telling me how much, you know, you want all this volume to come into Illinois. And I told him, and he sort of just laughed. He said, I'll take it all. He sort of <laughs> right. like, oh, that's it? Oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> yeah.
2: Can I twist your arm a little? So, yeah yeah, yeah. So. I'll take yeah. it. Where do I back the truck up? Um, I wanted to ask you this before I let you go. Um, Australia was very much in favor as a wine-growing country, yep. very popular here. You know, my perspective is from the U.S., even though it's, you know, a global thing. Mm-hmm. Very hot for a long time. And then it seemed like it fell out of favor. Oh, it fell off a cliff, didn't and, and, and you know, it's not a coincidence. I guess you know, you leaving Torbrick, you know, and uh, it didn't help. But why? Why did the wine get so hot and fall out of favor? Was it quality? Was you know, it marketing? No. Did it well, was it
3: vented over the top? Or there's a, well, yes, there's a combination of factors. First of all, there was a lot of people chasing the scores. Um, which I never did. Ironically, I always made the wines made I wanted, the wines to make. You
2: wanted to make. But there
3: was a lot of people chasing the scores. There was a lot of those big, gloopy, syrupy, boring wines. A lot of residual sugar, intentional or added sugar for the North American palate market. Um, the scores just got ridiculous. Where too many wines got big scores, and it got to the stage where it just ended up being a a Carte blanche for everybody, but, but that's Parker style too. You know, he loved the big, voluptuous, yeah, nasty, he
2: did. But he, he loved, was a big, wrong guy, but and he, he loved, loved it. No, I mean, Bob, no, I know Bob, I have which is a lot okay. Of time but for it. He, everybody he makes
3: me. that same wine. You've got to remember, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. Bob made me before Bob reviewed my wines. Nobody wanted to know, well, not nobody, but once Bob reviewed Tourbre, it was like pff, off we went. That's but not, Australia did it to itself. You've got to remember, Australia did it to itself. There was one guy in particular, actually, who did most of the damage. A guy called Dan Phillips the company called the Grateful Pallet. and he was making that he was in cahoots with one of the guys the guy called Jay Miller and you know what well, there was a guy in the New York Times wrote an article once about how Jay Miller had scored 90 of Dan Phillips' wines over 92 points and Dan Phillips had one winemaker making all the wines they're just putting different labels on them, ah, basically that's a good story. and that really killed that was that was the, fo- the story that broke the camel's back and then at the same time we had the GFC right but trends don't last. You know, then it became Spanish wine. I think that was over. Then it was South American wine. And you've got to be very careful of trends. And that's why I've never followed the trend, because you've got to be very, very careful. That, I, the I point
2: say, is make the wines you want to make, not follow yeah. the trend. But I,
3: but it's also, you know, what your mum and dad would always tell you, you know, don't put all your eggs in the one basket. And I could see the U.S. for us as a, as a market starting to weakened so I spent a lot of time in Asia. So we we developed good markets in Hong Kong and China and places like Those that are great emerging So market. when the US dropped we had somewhere for else for the wine to go. Right. But I realized yeah. it was never gonna lie. I mean it was just it was like feeding frenzy. The Parker reviews had come out and people would go just bang, everything just went overnight. It was just crazy stuff. But I knew that wasn't gonna take yeah. forever. So
2: that was the bad news. The good news is there's sort of uh, interest in Australian wine. Absolutely. People my, coming back to the world. Yeah. On my show, I have a lot of sommeliers and other winemakers, authors. I had Josh Green, who's the editor mm-hmm. and publisher of Wine and Spirits. Yep, yep. We did a review of the year, and I said, talk to me about you know exciting trends. And unsolicited, he talked about Australian mm-hmm. wines. A uh, friend who was on the show, Sev Peru, she owns the Ten Bells, a cool wine bar. Yep. She's in Australia yep. for a couple of months, Instagramming every day. Yep. You know, just talking about you know how great it is. So those are the real cheerleaders and mm. the real influencers. So do you agree that the path back? Absolutely. Is there? I've been
3: back in the market here in the U.S. for a couple of years now. I come you know every six months, and you can really see it. And the nice thing is for us is I think the style we're making, especially a lot with Callum's influence, sort of perhaps trying to curb some of my bad habits, <laughs> we uh, are making wines that have a freshness and a you know, great acidity and, and 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 lightness on their feet. I and mean, they're still bros wine, don't get me wrong. We're not.
2: But that's part of the but that's, well, history
3: of where the grape and the style but, of wine but, is. But we happen to be, I think we're just right on song for where we need to be, the sort of wine. Everybody <laughs> we're talking to is saying to us, well, this is what Australian wine should be. Now, we're not the only ones making those sort of wines, trust me me. Something like the brosser it's a bit harder because it's a bit warmer. You've got to work a bit harder not to... That's the idea. Once upon a time, the Brossom was the easy place to get fruit, ripe make big wines and stuff like that. Now it's a place we've got to be careful that we don't end up right. with two big wines. It's one of those, like, right. it can be, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But it certainly is possible. So. Right.
2: Uh, you know, I've been on the website, Callum, and, you know, it does a good job articulating you know, your vision and Good what you Good thing you said that he wrote it. Well, <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I, 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 that's why I'm looking at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you probably officer, don't sorry. even remember your password. Yeah. Mate, I haven't even looked at it. I've <laughs> the pictures. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think we intrigue some people by having you guys sit here and talk about your wines. If they do want to jump on the website, mm-hmm. tell me the address.
4: It's, yeah, sure. It's just www.powellandsons.com. S- and
2: spelled out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's right. that's what it is. And all the wines are, you know, on there, the history, talks about you guys, your vision and all of that. So if you want to know more about uh, Powell and Son, um, David, I'm curious with you, when you're not drinking your wines or or even wine or wine, what, what else do you drink?
3: Um- well, when I'm not drinking wine, I, I revert to my roots and drink rum and coke. So I'm a okay, bit of, you know,
2: <laughs> that's what I'm looking but, for. Um, which about. is
3: why I'm feeling like shit this morning. Okay. I, drink, you know, I think I was still drinking rum and coke. Guy comes
2: to a wine festival. I was still, I was still <laughs> drinking rum, and, rum and coke a okay. few hours ago. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But what else? Um,
3: when I drink wine, oh look, from everywhere, I'll drink anything. I, mean, I probably don't have the curiosity that Callum has anymore because I mean, I'm a bit of an old dog. But give me a great bottle of Rhone wine wines, Burgundy, Northern Italian. You know, anything good anywhere. Um, yeah, great German, Austrian White's, you know, there's, oh, you know, I'm you're drinking more for pleasure. You're drinking more for research,
2: <laughs> Absolutely, right? You yeah, want exactly. to see what's going on, and that's a great thing. You're looking you know, to get a buzz. You're looking to get education. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. I'm okay with. Well, blood. I don't
3: drink as much anymore either. I'm, I'm getting old. You know, I can't drink as well. I don't want to drink as much. So it's funny. We were actually in. Um, California just recently with Dan Freven a friend of ours I think you've been in touch with Dan
2: uh, the PR guy yeah yeah Great he's
3: guy. a dear friend of mine he's look, a look. very big cheerleader of you guys well he's a he's an old friend but, Dan, but he articulates what's going on well yeah, well, you well he used to work with Kermit Lynch yeah. and, you know Dan's yeah. old school he's got the chops but uh, he invited us to a tasting their label with a whole group of somms the other night and we'd had what 37 um, St. Joseph's from the 15 yeah. vintage which I was, love St. Joseph's Oh, so sorry I. it was quite an interesting tasting with tasting a blind tasting usual thing cheapest wine got number one the most expensive wine everybody thought was crap Do you remember? No, I'm not going to say no. (laughs) Yeah. But the interesting thing was, um, Callum and I tasting together, and we worked out it's the first time we've ever actually done that sort of tasting together. Really? Because I did it back in the day, and people used to ask me to show judge, and I said no, that take the fun, that suck all the fun out of it. And but Callum's done a lot of that stuff, obviously with college and all of his mates at college. But we'd never done it together, so it was actually quite fun for us Mm. to go. You got to do it more, right? Mm. Yeah. And we were surprisingly close, not
2: on everything, but yeah,
4: that was interesting actually. That was interesting.
2: Yeah, you got to get out and do more of those. What uh, what happens after you leave the festival? I mean, are you staying in the states We've, a little, do some yeah, business, well, and then next head we're, back?
3: We're here in this area, around here in Tampa and trying so mm-hmm. to do some sales stuff, the you usual dog and pony show. Then we're Texas, hopefully to get a new distributor. Then on to New York, um, then up to Eastern Canada, so Toronto, Montreal. Then we go into Europe markets. and Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it'd be nice if the government stayed out of it. Yeah, if you get in there, <laughs> I know. But, uh, and then we're on to Europe and then stopping in Asia on the way home. So, and hopefully we'll get home before harvest starts. Otherwise, one of the, we'll toss a corn so, Yeah, with the way the
2: weather's goes going
4: home. at the moment, I'm not too sure. <coughs> Excuse
2: me. So, you're not going to be back for a few weeks, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll for a little
4: while, yeah.
2: Well, listen, I want to thank you guys for sitting with me. I think the story is great. Um, I haven't had a chance to taste the wine. <coughs> I, I, oh, I, I won't me. be uh, disingenuous and say, oh, your wines are great, but... <laughs> You know, when I heard uh, you were here and you'd come on the show, uh, you went into overdrive and, you know, got the story straight, and I'm very curious to taste the wines. I'd love to do that. So I wish you guys success, continued success. Hope to see you again. I don't know if and when I'm getting to Australia, but I think I want to come to your part of town and maybe (laughs) party a night with you (laughs) before I go home. Um, So we've been talking to David and Callum Powell, from Powell and Sun Wines. And again, we want to thank them. And you've been listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.
0: Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd and your host, and the Foundation's executive director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.